Act One of Henry the Eighth by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Henry the Eighth by William Shakespeare. Act One. Prologue. I come no more to make you laugh. Things now that bear a weighty and a serious brow, sad, high, and working, full of state and woe, such noble scenes as draw the eye to flow, we now present. Those that can pity, here may, if they think it well, let fall a tear, the subject will deserve it. Such as give their money out of hope they may believe, may here find truth too. Those that come to see only a show or two, and so agree the play may pass, if they be still and willing, I'll undertake may see away their shilling richly in two short hours. Only they that come to hear a merry, bawdy play, a noise of targets, or to see a fellow in a long motley coat guarded with yellow will be deceived for gentle hearers know to rank our chosen truth with such a show as fool and fight is beside forfeiting our own brains and the opinion that we bring to make that only true we now intend will leave us never an understanding friend therefore for goodness sake and as you are known the first and happiest hearers of the town, be sad as we would make ye. Think ye see the very persons of our noble story as they were living. Think you see them great, and followed with the general throng and sweat of thousand friends. Then, in a moment, see how soon this mightiness meets misery. And if you can be merry then, I'll say, a man may weep upon his wedding day. Act One, Scene One. London, an antechamber in the palace. Enter Norfolk at one door, at the other Buckingham and Abergavenny. Good morrow, and well met. How have ye done since we last saw in France? I thank your grace. Healthful and ever since a fresh admirer of what I saw there. An untimely ague stayed me a prisoner in my chamber when those sons of glory, those two lights of men, met in the Vale of Andron. Twixt Gynes and Ard I was then present, saw them salute on horseback, beheld them when they lighted, how they clung in their embracement as they grew together, which had they what four-throned ones could have weighed such a compounded one? All the whole time I was my chamber's prisoner. Then you lost the view of earthly glory. Men might say, till this time pomp was single, but now married, to one above itself. Each following day became the next day's master, till the last made former wonders its. Today the French, all cliquant, told in gold like heathen gods, shone down the English, and tomorrow they made Britain India. Every man that stood showed like a mine. Their dwarfish pages were as cherubins, all gilt. The madams, too, not used to toil, did almost sweat to bear the pride upon them, that their very labour was to them as a painting. Now this mask was cried incomparable, and the ensuring knight made it a fool and beggar. 
the two kings equal in lustre were now best now worst as presents did present them him and i still him in praise and being present both twas said that they saw but one and no discerner durst wag his tongue in censure when these sons for so they phrase them by their heralds challenge the noble spirits to arms they did perform beyond thought's compass that former fabulous story being now seen possible enough got credit that beavis was believed oh you go far as I belong to worship and affect in honour honesty, the tract of every thing would by a good discourser lose some life, which action's self was tongue to. All was royal. To the disposing of it naught rebelled. Order gave each thing view. The office did distinctly his full function. Who did guide? I mean, who set the body and the limbs of this great sport together, as you guess? One certs that promises no element in such a business. I pray you, who, my lord? All this was ordered by the good discretion of the right reverend cardinal of York. The devil speed him. No man's pie is freed from his ambitious finger. What had he to do in these fierce vanities? I wonder that such a keech can, with his very bulk, take up the rays of the beneficial sun and keep it from the earth. Surely, sir, there's in him stuff that puts him to these ends, for, being not propped by ancestry, whose grace chalks successors their way, nor called upon for high feats done to the crown, neither allied for eminent assistance, but spider-like out of his self-drawing web he gives us note. The force of his own merit makes his way, a gift that heaven gives for him, which buys a place next to the king. I cannot tell what heaven hath given him. Let some graver eye pierce into that but I can see his pride peep through each part of him. Whence has he that, if not from hell? The devil is a niggard, or has given all before, and he begins a new hell in himself. Why the devil, upon this French going out, took he upon him, without the privy or the king, to appoint who should attend on him? He makes up the file of all the gentry, for the most part such to whom as great a charge as little honour he meant to lay upon and his own letter, the Honourable Board of Council out, must fetch him in the papers. I do know, kinsmen of mine, three at the least, that have by this so sickened their estates that never they shall abound as formerly. Oh, many have broke their backs with laying manners on them for this great journey. What did this vanity but minister communication of a most poor issue? Grievingly, I think, the peace between the French and us not values the cost that did conclude it. Every man, after the hideous storm that followed, was a thing inspired, and, not consulting, broke into a general prophecy, that this tempest, dashing the garment of this peace, aboded the sudden breach on't. Which is budded out, for France hath floored the league, and hath attached our merchants' good at Bordeaux. Is it, therefore, the ambassador is silenced? Mariest. A proper title of a peace, and purchased at a superfluous rate. Why, all this business our reverend cardinal carried. Like it, your grace, the state takes notice of the private difference betwixt you and the cardinal. I advise you, and take it from a heart that wishes towards you honour and plenteous safety, that you read the cardinal's malice and his potency together, to consider further that what his hatred would affect wants not a minister in his power. You know his nature, that he's revengeful and I know his sword hath a sharp edge. It's long, and, may be said, it reaches far, and well, twill not extend thither he darts it. Bosom up thy counsel. 
you'll find it wholesome. Lo, where comes that rock that I advise your shunning? Enter Cardinal Wolsey, the purse borne before him, certain of the guard, and two secretaries with papers. Cardinal Wolsey in his passage fixeth his eye on Buckingham, and Buckingham on him, both full of disdain. The Duke of Buckingham's surveyor, huh? Where's his examination? Here, so please you. Is he in person ready? Aye, please your grace. Well, we shall then know more, and Buckingham shall lessen this big look. Exunt Cardinal Wolsey and his train. This butcher's cur is venom-mouthed, and I have not the power to muzzle him. Therefore best not wake him in his slumber. A beggar's book outworths a noble's blood. What? Are you chafed? Ask God for temperance. That's the appliance only which your disease requires. Irene's look matter against me, and his eye reviled me as his abject object. At this instant he bores me with some trick. He's gone to the king. I'll follow and outstare him. Stay, my lord, and let your reason with your collar question what tis you go about. To climb steep hills requires slow pace at first. Anger is like a full-hot horse, who, being allowed his way, self-metal tires him. Not a man in England can advise me like you. Be to yourself as you would to your friend. I'll to the king, and from a mouth of honour quite cry down this Ipswich fellow's insolence, or proclaim there's difference in no persons. Be advised. Heat not a furnace for your foe so hot that it do singe yourself. We may outrun by violent swiftness that which we run at, and lose by overrunning. Know you not the fire that mounts the liquor till run o'er? In seeming to augment it wastes it. Be advised. I say again. There is no English soul more stronger to direct you than yourself, if with the sap of reason you would quench or but allay the fire of passion. Sir, I am thankful to you, and I'll go along by your prescription, but this top-proud fellow, whom from the flow of gall I name not but from sincere motions, by intelligence, and proofs as clear as founts in July when we see each grain of gravel, I do know to be corrupt and treasonous. Say not treasonous. To the king I'll say't, and make my vouchers strong as shore of rock. Attend this holy fox, or wolf, or both, for he is equal ravenous as he is subtle, and as prone to mischief as able to perform it. His mind and place infecting one another, yea, reciprocally, only to show his pomp as well in France as here at home, suggest the king, our master, to this last costly treaty, the interview that swallowed so much treasure, and like a glass did break ere the rinsing. Faith, and so it did. Pray, give me favour, sir. This cunning cardinal, the articles or the combination, drew as himself pleased, and they were ratified as he cried, Thus let be, to as much end as give a crutch to the dead. But our Count Cardinal has done this, and tis well for worthy Wolsey, who cannot err, he did it. Now this follows, which, as I take it, is a kind of puppy to the old dam, treason, Charles the Emperor, under pretence to see the Queen his aunt, for twas indeed his colour, but he came to whisper Wolsey, here make visitation. His fears were that the interview betwixt England and France might, through their amity, breed him some prejudice, for from this league peeped harms that menaced him. He privily deals with our cardinal, and, as I trow, 
which I do well, for I am sure the emperor paid ere he promised, whereby his suit was granted ere it was asked, but when the way was made and paved with gold, the emperor thus desired that he would please to alter the king's course and break the foresaid peace. Let the king know, as soon as he shall by me, that thus the cardinal does buy and sell his honour as he pleases, and for his own advantage. I am sorry to hear this of him, and could wish you were something mistaken in't. No, not a syllable. I do pronounce him in that very shape he shall appear in proof. Enter Brandon, a sergeant-at-arms before him, and two or three of the guard. Your office, sergeant. Execute it. Sir, my lord, the Duke of Buckingham, and Earl of Hereford, Stafford, and Northampton, I arrest thee of high treason, in the name of our most sovereign king. Lo, you, my lord, the net hath fallen upon me. I shall perish under device and practice. I am sorry to see you taken from liberty, to look on the business present. Tis his highness' pleasure you shall to the tower. It will help me nothing to plead mine innocence, for that die is on me which makes my whitest part black. The will of heaven be done in this and all things. I obey, O my lord Abergavenny, fare you well. Nay, he must bear you company. To Abergavenny. The king is pleased you shall to the tower, till you know how he determines further. As the duke said, the will of heaven be done, and the king's pleasure by me obeyed. Here is a warrant from the king to attach Lord Montacute, and the bodies of the duke's confessor, John de la Carre, one Gilbert Peck, his chancellor. So, so, these are the limbs of the plot, no more, I hope. A monk of the Chartreux. Oh, Nicholas Hopkins? He. My surveyor is false. The o'er great cardinal hath showed him gold. My life is spanned already. I am the shadow of poor Buckingham, whose figure even this instant cloud puts on, by darkening my clear sun. My lord, farewell. Exunt. Scene two. The same. The council chamber. Cornets. Enter King Henry the Eighth, leaning on Cardinal Wolsey's shoulder, the nobles and Lavelle. Cardinal Wolsey places himself under King Henry the Eighth's feet on his right side. My life itself, and the best heart of it, thanks you for this great care. I stood in the level of a full-charged confederacy, and give thanks to you that choked it. Let me call before us that gentleman of Buckingham's, in person I'll hear him his confessions justify, and point by point the treasons of his master he shall again relate. A noise within, crying, Room for the Queen! Enter Queen Catherine, ushered by Norfolk and Suffolk. She kneels. King Henry the Eighth riseth from his state, takes her up, kisses and placeth her by him. Nay, we must longer kneel. I am a suitor. Arise! and take place by us. Half your suit never name to us. You have half our power. The other moiety, ere you ask, is given. Repeat your will and take it. Thank your majesty. That you would love yourself, and in that love not unconsidered leave your honour, nor the dignity of your office is the point of my petition. Lady mine, proceed. 
I am solicited, not by a few, and those of true condition, that your subjects are in great grievance. There have been commissions sent down among them, which hath flawed the heart of all their loyalties, wherein, although, my good Lord Cardinal, they vent reproaches most bitterly on you, as putter on of these exactions, yet the King, our master, whose honour heaven shield from soil, even he escapes not language unmannerly, yea, such which breaks the sides of loyalty, and almost appears in loud rebellion. Not almost appears, it doth appear. For upon these taxations the clothiers all, not able to maintain the many to them longing, have put off the spinsters, carters, fullers, weavers, who, unfit for other life, compelled by hunger and lack of other means, in desperate manner, daring the event to the teeth, are all in uproar, and danger serves among them. Taxation! Wherein? And what taxation? My lord cardinal, you that are blamed for it alike with us, know you of this taxation? Please you, sir, I know but of a single part in aught pertains to the state, and front but in that file where others tell steps with me. No, my lord, you know no more than others, but you frame things that are known alike, which are not wholesome to those which would not know them, and yet must perforce be their acquaintance. These exactions, whereof my sovereign would have note, they are most pestilent to the bearing, and to bear em the back is sacrifice to the load. They say they are devised by you, or else you suffer too hard an exclamation. Still exaction, the nature of it, in what kind, let's know, is this exaction? I am much too venturous in tempting of your patience, but am boldened under your promised pardon. The subject's grief comes through commissions, which compel from each the sixth part of his substance to be levied without delay. And the pretense for this is named your wars in France. This makes bold mouths, tongues spit their duties out, and cold hearts freeze allegiance in them. Their curses now live where their prayers did. And it's come to pass this tractable obedience is a slave to each insensate will. I would your highness would give it quick consideration, for there is no primer business. By my life, this is against our pleasure. And for me I have no further gone in this than by a single voice, and that not past me but by learned approbation of the judges. If I am traduced by ignorant tongues which neither know my faculties nor person, yet will be the chronicles of my doing, let me say tis but the fate of place and the rough break that virtue must go through. We must not stint our necessary actions in the fear to cope malicious censurers, which ever, as ravenous fishes do a vessel follow that is new-trimmed, but benefit no further than vainly longing. What we oft do best, by sick interpreters, once weak ones, is not ours or not allowed. What worst, as oft, hitting a grosser quality, is cried up for our best act. If we shall stand still, in fear our motion will be mocked or carped at, we should take root here where we sit, or sit state statues only. Things well done, and with a care, exempt themselves from fear. Things done without example, 
in their issue are to be feared have you a precedent of this commission i believe not any we must not rend our subjects from our laws and stick them in our will sixth part of each a trembling contribution why we take from every tree lop bark and part of the timber and though we leave it with a root thus hacked the air will drink the sap to every county where this is questioned send our letters with free pardon to each man that hath denied the force of this commission pray look to it i put it to your care a word with you to the secretary let there be letters writ to every shire of the king's grace and pardon the grieved commons hardly conceive of me let it be noised that through our intercession this revocement and pardon comes i shall anon advise you further in the proceeding exit secretary enter surveyor i am sorry that the duke of buckingham is run in your displeasure it grieves many the gentleman is learned and a most rare speaker to nature none more bound his training such that he may furnish and instruct great teachers and never seek aid out of himself yet see when these so noble benefits shall prove not well disposed the mind growing once corrupt they turn to vicious forms ten times more ugly than ever they were fair this man so complete who is enrolled amongst wonders and when we almost with ravished listening could not find his hour of speech a minute he my lady hath into monstrous habits put the graces that once were his and is become as black as if besmeared in hell sit by us you shall hear this was his gentleman in trust of him things to strike honour sad bid him recount the four recited practices whereof we cannot feel too little hear too much stand forth and with bold spirit relate what you most like a careful subject have collected out of the duke of buckingham speak freely first it was usual with him every day would infect his speech that if the king should without issue die he'll carry it so to make the sceptre his these very words i've heard him utter to his son-in-law lord abergavenny to whom by oath he menaced revenge upon the cardinal please your highness note this dangerous conception in this point not friended by his wish to your high person his will is most malignant and it stretches beyond you to your friends my learned lord cardinal deliver all with charity speak on how grounded he is titled to the crown upon our fail to this point hast thou heard him at any time speak aught he was brought to this by a vain prophecy of nicholas hopkins what was that hopkins sir a chartreuse friar his confessor who fed him every minute with words of sovereignty how knowest thou this not long before your highness sped to france the duke being at the rose within the parish st lawrence pulteney did of me demand what was the speech among the londoners concerning the french journey i replied men feared the french would prove perfidious to the king's danger presently the duke said twas the fear indeed and that he doubted twould prove the verity of certain words spoke by a holy monk that oft says he hath sent to me wishing me to permit john de la carre my chaplain a choice hour to hear from him a matter of some moment whom after under the confession seal he solemnly had sworn 
that what he spoke my chaplain to no creature living but to me should utter with demure confidence that pausingly ensued neither the king nor his heirs tell you the duke shall prosper bid him strive to gain the love o oh, the commonalty the duke shall govern england if i know you well you were the duke surveyor and lost your office on the complaint of the tenants take good heed you charge not in your spleen a noble person and spoil your nobler soul i say take heed yes heartily beseech you let him on go forward on my soul i'll speak but truth i told my lord the duke by the devil's illusions the monk might be deceived and that twas dangerous for him to ruminate on this so far until it forged him some design which being believed it was much like to do he answered tush it can do me no damage adding further that had the king in his last sickness failed the cardinals and sir thomas lavelle's heads should have gone off ah what so rank aha there's mischief in this man canst thou say further i can my liege proceed being at greenwich after your highness had reproved the duke about sir william blomer i remember of such a time being my sworn servant the duke retained him his but on what hence if quoth he i for this had been committed as to the tower i thought i would have played the part my father meant to act upon the usurper richard who being at salisbury made suit to come in's presence which if granted as he made semblance of his duty would have put his knife to him a giant traitor now madam may his highness live in freedom and this man out of prison god mend all there's something more would out of thee what sayst after the duke his father with the knife he stretched him and with one hand on his dagger another spread on his breast mounting his eyes he did discharge a horrible oath whose tenor was where he evil used he would outgo his father by as much as a performance does an irresolute purpose there's his period to sheath his knife in us he is attached call him to present trial if he may find mercy in the law tis his if none let him not seek it of us by day and night he's traitor to the height Exeunt. Scene three. An antechamber in the palace. Enter Chamberlain and Sands. Is it possible the spells of friends should juggle men into such strange mysteries? New customs, though they be never so ridiculous, nay, let him be unmanly, yet are followed. As far as I see, all the good our English have got by the late voyage is but merely a fit or two of the face but they are shrewd ones for when they hold em you would swear directly their very noses had been counsellors to pepin or clotharius they keep state so they have all new legs and lame ones one would take it that never saw em pace before the spavin or springholt reigned among em death my lord their clothes are after such a pagan cut too that sure they've worn out christendom enter laval how now what news sir thomas lovell faith my lord i hear of none but the new proclamation that's clapped upon the court gate what is it for the reformation of our travelled gallants that fill the court with quarrels talk and tailors i'm glad tis there now i would pray our messieurs to think an english courtier may be wise and never see the louvre 
They must either, for so run the conditions, leave those remnants of fallen feather that they've got in France, with all their honourable point of ignorance pertaining thereunto, as fights and fireworks, abusing better men than they can be, out of a foreign wisdom, renouncing clean the faith they have in tennis and tall stockings, short blistered breeches and those types of travel and understand again like honest men or pack to their old playfellows there i take it they may cum privilegio wear away the lag end of their lewdness and be laughed at tis time to give em physic their diseases are grown so catching what a loss our ladies will have of these trim vanities ay marry there will be woe indeed lords the sly whore-sons have got a speeding trick to lay down ladies a french song and a fiddle has no fellow the devil fiddle em. i am glad they are going for sure there's no converting of em now an honest country lord as i am beaten a long time out of play may bring his plain song and have an hour of hearing and by a lady Old current music too well said lord sands your colt's tooth is not cast yet no my lord nor shall not while i have a stump sir thomas whither were you a-going to the cardinals your lordship is a guest too oh tis true this night he makes a supper and a great one to many lords and ladies there will be the beauty of this kingdom i'll assure you that churchman bears a bounteous mind indeed, a hand as fruitful as the land that feeds us. His dues fall everywhere. No doubt he's noble. He had a black mouth that said other of him. He may, my lord, has wherewithal. In him sparing would show a worse sin than ill doctrine. Men of his way should be most liberal. They are set here for examples. True, they are so. But few now give so great ones. My barge stays. Your lordship shall along. Come, good Sir Thomas, we shall be late else, which I would not be, for I was spoke to with Sir Henry Guildford this night to be comptrollers. I am your lordship's. Exeunt. Scene four. A hall in York Palace. Hot boys. A small table under a state for Cardinal Wolsey, a longer table for the guests. Then enter Anne and divers other ladies and gentlemen as guests at one door. At another door enter Guildford. Ladies, a general welcome from his grace salutes ye all. This night he dedicates to fair content and you. None here, he hopes, in all this noble bevy has brought with her one care abroad. He would have all as merry as first good company good wine good welcome can make good people oh my lord you're tardy enter chamberlain sands and lavelle <laughs> the very thought of this fair company clapped wings to me you are young sir henry guildford sir thomas lovell had the cardinal but half my lay thoughts in him some of these should find a running banquet ere they rested i think would better please em by my life they are a sweet society of fair ones oh that your lordship were but now confessor to one or two of these i would i were they should find easy penance faith how easy as easy as a down-bed would afford it sweet ladies will it please you sit sir harry 
Place you that side. I'll take charge of this. His grace is entering. Nay, you must not freeze. Two women placed together makes cold weather. My lord Sands, you are one will keep em waking. Pray, sit between these ladies. By my faith, and thank your lordship, by your leave, sweet ladies, if I chance to talk a little wild, forgive me. I had it from my father. Was he mad, sir? All very mad, exceeding mad, in love, too. But he would bite none, just as I do now. He would kiss you twenty with a breath. Kisses her. Well said, my lord. So, now you're fairly seated. Gentlemen, the penance lies on you if these fair ladies pass away frowning. For my little cure, let me alone. Hot boys, enter Cardinal Wolsey and takes his state. You're welcome, my fair guests. That noble lady or gentleman that is not freely merry is not my friend. This to confirm my welcome, and to you all good health. Drinks. Your grace is noble. Let me have such a bowl may hold my thanks, and save me so much talking. My lord Sands, I am beholding to you. Cheer your neighbours. Ladies, you are not merry. Gentlemen, whose fault is this? The red wine first must rise in their fair cheeks, my lord. Then we shall have em talk us to silence. You are a merry gamester, my lord Sands. Yes, if I make my play. Here's to your ladyship and pledge it, madam, for tis such a thing. You cannot show me. I told your grace they would talk anon. Drum and trumpet, chambers discharged. What's that? Look out there, some of ye. Exit servant. What warlike voice and to what end is this? Nay, ladies, fear not. By all the laws of war, you're privileged. Re-enter servant. How now? What is it? A noble troop of strangers, for so they seem. They've left the barge and landed, and hither make as great ambassadors from foreign princes good lord chamberlain go give him welcome you can speak the french tongue and pray receive him nobly and conduct him into our presence where this heaven of beauty shall shine at full upon them some attend him exit chamberlain attended all rise and tables removed you have now a broken banquet but we'll mend it a good digestion to you all and once more I shower a welcome on ye. Welcome all. Hot boys, enter King Henry the Eighth and others as maskers, habited like shepherds, ushered by the chamberlain. They pass directly before Cardinal Wolsey and gracefully salute him. A noble company. What are their pleasures? Because they speak no English, thus they prayed to tell your grace that, having heard by fame of this so noble and so fair assembly, this night to meet here, they could do no less out of the great respect they bear to beauty, but leave their flocks, and, under your fair conduct, crave leave to view these ladies and entreat an hour of revels with them. Say, Lord Chamberlain, they have done my poor house grace, for which I pay em a thousand thanks, and pray em take their pleasures. They choose ladies for the dance. King Henry the Eighth chooses Anne. The fairest hand I ever touched! O oh, beauty, till thou I never knew thee. Music, dance. My lord. Your grace. Pray tell em thus much from me. There should be one amongst em by his person more worthy this place than myself. 
to whom if i but knew him with my love and duty i would surrender it i will my lord whispers the maskers what say they such a one they all confess there is indeed which they would have your grace find out and he will take it let me see then by all your good leaves gentlemen here i'll make my royal choice ye have found him cardinal unmasking you hold a fair assembly you do well lord you are a churchman or i'll tell you cardinal i should judge now unhappily i am glad your grace is grown so pleasant my lord chamberlain prithee come hither what fair lady's that and it please your grace sir thomas bullen's daughter the viscount richford one of her highness's women by heaven she is a dainty one sweetheart i were unmanly to take you out and not to kiss you a health gentlemen let it go round sir thomas lovell is the banquet ready in the privy chamber yes my lord your grace i fear with dancing is a little heated i fear too much there's fresher air my lord in the next chamber lead in your ladies every one sweet partner i must not yet forsake you let's be merry good my lord cardinal i have half a dozen healths to drink to these fair ladies and a measure to lead em once again and then let's dream who's best in favour let the music knock it exeunt with trumpets end of act one